Good evening. I am Dr. Robert Lahita, Professor of Medicine at New York Medical College and Clinical Professor of Medicine at Rutgers, the New Jersey Medical School. I write a column for the Saddle River, New Jersey magazine called Ask Dr. Bob. I'm asked many, many hundreds of questions, and my column appears monthly in the Saddle River, New Jersey magazine. But I do a podcast, and in this podcast, I answer a lot of medical questions from the interested public, and on occasion, I give my own commentary. Well, tonight, guess what? We're going to be talking about a common thing, and I'm hoping to enlighten my listening audience on that famous Wuhan virus illness, the coronavirus, the novel coronavirus. The symptoms of the Wuhan virus, which is, believe it or not, a a city in the middle of China that's got some 11 million people in it. And parenthetically, I could say that I did spend a good deal of time in China and was amazed at the number of cities that I had never heard of before, which had upwards of 6 to sometimes 20 million people, which really dwarfs our own large cities in the United States. Nevertheless, Wuhan, China, is in the Hubei province, and the illness resembles other respiratory infections. Now, how did this very, very unusual coronavirus come about? And I have to say to everyone listening that coronavirus is not a new virus. It's, there are many, many types of coronaviruses. The coronavirus is very, very common. It's, it's a common cause of the common cold. It's present in every hospital in the country. And the laboratories of these hospitals can type this virus and identify a common coronavirus. I can think of two patients in the last two weeks who have had coronavirus infections while patients in our hospital. But this was not the 2019 Wuhan coronavirus. That coronavirus is a novel coronavirus. And one has to wonder, how did this coronavirus really come about? Most health experts agree that many infected patients had some association with a live animal or a seafood market. And such a market exists in Wuhan City, suggesting that the disease was first spread from animal to human contact. Human-human transfer was soon confirmed in China, Germany, and in fact in the United States. Uh, the first person to be infected here in our country was an Illinois man in his 60s. His wife became infected while traveling in Wuhan, China, and the Communicable Disease Center, known as the CDC, says the full picture of how easily this virus can spread really remains unclear. But suffice it to say, it spreads very, very easily. Now, how did this, what was the animal species that jumped from this unusual animal to uh, the human? At first, it was thought that this was a boomerang bat. Believe it or not, boomerang bats are eaten as a delicacy in China. Uh, if you've ever seen a boomerang bat, it would not seem delectable to Westerners. But this animal that we're talking about, which was the likely source of coronavirus, the novel coronavirus, was the pangolin which is an armadillo-like creature covered with scales that is valued for not only its health benefits, 
but its libido-raising sexual benefits as well, and clearly eaten by the Chinese. Now, many years ago, 1989, I spent some time in Guangzhou, China, where I went through the market, and refrigeration at that time was not great, and I saw all kinds of animals strung up on hooks, recently skinned, freshly bleeding to show that they were fresh animals and not stored. And every animal, conceivable animal you could imagine, dogs, cats, guinea pigs, um, aardvarks, anything that walked was slaughtered and became a Chinese delicacy. This was rather amazing but in retrospect, really heralded the kind of diseases that we easily saw uh, developing in these countries, uh, particularly China. Now, the symptoms of the Wuhan virus resemble other respiratory infections. People can experience coughing and fever, as well as shortness of breath. Some patients even have vomiting, diarrhea, and similar stomach symptoms as well. The most severe cases have caused pneumonia, severe acute respiratory syndrome, uh, which is called ARDS, or acute respiratory distress syndrome, kidney failure, and certainly death, if the patient is not supported critically. Some infected people have few or no symptoms, whereas other patients can be severely ill or die from the disease. And the symptoms last between 2 and 14 days. That's a window wherein you either do well or you don't do well, and you do rather poorly. This is very, very interesting because not everybody's going to die from the novel coronavirus. But those who have impaired immune functions, the very, very older individuals above the age, say, of 65, are at particular risk to succumb to this virus. Now, surprisingly enough, it doesn't really affect children uh, with developing immune systems, but it does affect the older individual. And this is what is remarkable about this virus. Now, <clears throat> are we working on a vaccine? Uh, no vaccine so far has been developed by this, for this newly discovered virus, but on January 28th, the Department of Health and Human Services announced that the NIH, National Institutes of Health, has begun to collaborate on the development of a Wuhan coronavirus vaccine. Now, early trials started about a month ago, and it's going to, you know, it's going to go on and perhaps take even longer, perhaps a year or longer, before a safe, proven vaccine can be released to the public. The National Health Commission in China is collaborating with various health organizations, including the World Health Organization, or WHO, to further study how severe and how contagious this virus can be. By sharing data and continuing to study the illness, health researchers worldwide hope to contribute to the development of a vaccine. And this is a worldwide problem. And if anything brings people together, something like this does. And it's unfortunate but it's true. So this class of virus, however, mutates very easily. And prior mutations led to the SARS outbreak of 2002 and 2003, in which a virus that was native to civet cats, which were being devoured by, again, the Chinese, 
mutated to spread the illness to humans. In Saudi Arabia in 2012, a coronavirus that infected, of all things, camels mutated to become infectious in humans. Now, we don't eat camels as a rule, but the camel is in close proximity to many humans who use it as a, as a means of travel in the Middle East. Uh, and thus, that was the source of the coronavirus in 2012 that caused Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, known as MERS, M-E-R-S. Currently, we haven't discovered the original source of the Wuhan coronavirus, but I suspect that the pangolin, uh, which has been described by my Chinese friends, is more than likely the cause of this horrendous infection. Now, I want to say that uh, the virus is rather unique, and um, one in approximately every 50 individuals that are infected uh, can succumb to the virus. And it's particularly tragic in places where there isn't good supportive medical care. Most of the United States have hospitals, etc., where you can be supported, and if your lungs go completely in what's called um, the respiratory distress syndrome, you can be placed on a machine that will exchange your blood until your lungs heal. Now, this is what's really interesting, is that everybody's immune system is different. And the immune systems of those who succumb to the virus versus those who don't succumb to the virus are pretty amazing. It may be that there is some cross-reactivity with the common coronavirus, and if one develops immunity to that, if the immune system has recognition of the chronic common coronavirus, then you would have less of a horrible response to the novel or 2019 coronavirus. It's transmitted, as I mentioned, through coughing and sneezing. And people with it, with the new virus, may be spreading it even before they know they have it. And this is one of the problems with just today when a plane load of people from a passenger ship in Japan flew back to the U.S. It was found that on the plane, over 20 people had fever and were likely to be positive for the virus. And I think they even tested the people and found that, in fact, they were infected. And they were quarantined to the back of the airplane. But nevertheless, everybody who comes back from foreign country like Japan or uh, China would be quarantined in our country for at least two weeks until we could sort out and see who's infected and who's not. So this outbreak, which has really sickened a lot of people in China, over 70,000 infected people, which is a drop in the bucket when you're talking about an 11 million population of a city. But nevertheless, for our intents and purposes, 70,000 people is a lot of people, and over 2,000 people have succumbed to this terrible virus. So we are containing the virus. Uh, China has taken drastic actions uh, to quarantine people. Governments around the world have been screening incoming passengers from China for signs of illness. Some have gone even farther and barred entry to people from China. Russia and Mongolia have closed most of their borders with China. Australia said it will evacuate citizens from Wuhan and quarantine them for 14 days on Christmas Island, of all places, 
which is an isolated place that will prevent the spread on the mainland of Australia of this uh, horrendous virus. Now, to put things in perspective, we all remember the Ebola virus outbreak of uh, some years ago. I think it was uh, at least uh, five to ten years ago when I spoke on Fox News and also on CNN, on Fox News with the delightful Megyn Kelly about Ebola. And at that time, there was a thought to quarantine all of Western Africa, which, of course, is impossible to do. But people were being watched very, very carefully and isolated who could possibly have been infected by the Ebola virus. Now, the difference between the novel coronavirus and the Ebola virus is that the Ebola virus is deadly. And people died from the Ebola virus fairly quickly, virtually or almost, and I'm not going to say always, but almost 100% of the people that got the Ebola succumbed. That's not the case with the Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus infects you, but it doesn't necessarily kill you. And so with that cheery note, I go to another topic, uh, the flu. Everybody should get a flu vaccine. The flu is far more deadly, actually, than the Wuhan novel coronavirus. There's an urgent need for antivirals because a lot of people, an estimated 290,000 to 650,000 respiratory deaths occur each year around the world due to influenza, with an estimated 3 to 5 million people having severe illness. Now, we're not paying any attention to that. Everybody in our hospital has to be immunized, mandated. Most hospitals in the country require that their entire staff be immunized against the flu. Um, the flu is extremely infectious. It can be deadly, especially for the very young and for the very old, those with immunosuppression, those with chronic diseases, uh, those who are alcoholics or severe diabetics or people who are in kidney failure, etc., are all at risk to get a severe case of the human influenza infection. And vaccines with the synthetic vaccine, that is a dead virus, dead virus, will do very well. They may get the flu, but a much milder version of the flu than other people. Now, I say dead virus because there was a time a few years back, and I give the flu vaccine every year to a number of uh, public employees like firemen and police officers, and uh, I was injecting via the, na the nose with a nasal vaccine of live flu virus. I do not advocate that at all, but at the time, we had to screen people for immunological uh, susceptibility. People with chronic diseases couldn't get the live vaccine. People undergoing chemotherapy for various forms of cancer could not get the live vaccine. But right now, the synthetic vaccine is available and it should be obtained and it's never too late to get the vaccine. And this is now February, mid-February, and we're still advocating the flu vaccine. Although the next season, after the summer season, the next fall will be another time to be revaccinated. It is a public health measure, extremely, extremely important to protect yourself from flu, influenza. 
And finally, a word about a common infection. And that infection, yep, you guessed it, the measles. Measles is highly contagious. And there are a number of groups out there, communities such as the Hasidim, uh, such as the liberal people within the state of California, particularly Northern California and Southern Oregon, who do not believe in vaccinating their children. And there's been a move afoot from the government to mandate vaccinations before these children are allowed to go to school. The reason is that there is a thing called meningoencephalitis, which is deadly and the result of measles infection in certain children. Not every child gets this, but we don't know who, who would have meningoencephalopathy and who would not. But it is deadly. And it comes with neurologic abnormalities. If you survive the infection, you can have brain damage. And that is a lifelong injury. And that has to be thwarted. And many of the parents who fail to vaccinate their children have had this happen to their child. It's a terrible thing to have a child suffer because of the wills and the misguided efforts of their parents. So measles, a common infection, once thought to be obliterated because of vaccines, uh, much like the oral polio vaccine, another virus was deadly when I was a child. Um, the measles vaccine is available and every child should be required to have it to prevent death, brain damage, irreversible pneumonia, super infected with lethal bacteria. This is bad stuff, folks, and it's really something that you have to consider. And so that ends my podcast for tonight. This is Dr. Bob Lahita of Ask Dr. Bob, uh, giving you a few health tips on, of all things, the coronavirus, influenza vaccines, and measles vaccines. Have a healthy remainder of your day. Thank you.